Well, hey, good morning, everyone. How we doing? Good. Hey, good to see all of you. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to John 15. We're going to be in John 15 this morning. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We'll get someone to get that to you uh, right away. We're going to be in John 15. As always, if you don't own a Bible, please keep that. We'd love for you to take it home and have that as a gift from us. If you're new or visiting, my name is Calvin Wassen. I'm the lead pastor here. So thankful that you are worshiping with us this weekend. And uh, we are in a series right now that I think is actually really cool. I've really enjoyed this. We are all the way up until Easter we are kind of dialing in and focusing on the last conversations Jesus has with his disciples. We are uh, meeting Jesus on the night when he's about to be arrested. He's about to be betrayed. This is his last time with his best friends. And it's like, here's the thing you need to know. Here's what's most important. And there is so much for us to learn and to glean from these things. So what I want to do, if you're taking notes, I just want to jump right into our big question. Here, here's what I want to talk about this morning. It's this. I want you to think about this. Here's the question we have to answer. What kind of life does God want you to have? If someone were to ask you, what does God want from you? What, what does God want out of your life? Could you give a good, succinct answer? Have you thought about that? Could you answer that question? What does God want from us? What kind of life does he want us to have? And so another question I need to ask, and I need your help with this one. This will help get us to a better answer. Here's a question. How many of you in here, raise your hand if you are really naturally good directionally? Like you're just good with directions. Raise your hand if that's you. Raise them up high. I can't stand you people. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to lie. I am awful with directions. One of like the least favorite things people will do to me, they'll be like, hey, Cal, just go to the north side of the building. I'm like, I'm inside. I can't even see the sun. How am I supposed to know where north is? This is an impossible riddle that is unsolvable. I am terrible with directions. Like right now, I have no idea what direction I'm facing. And last night, someone yelled out, south. And I was like, I hate that so much <laughs> that you just know. And uh, I am terrible with directions. I always have been. My mind just doesn't work that way. And uh, I remember there was this other thing that I learned right when I turned 16 and got my driver's license. Um, it dawned on me that my entire life, as my parents drove me around, I never, ever paid attention to where they were going or how to get there. And, and like my parents would be like, all right, Cal, can you go to the grocery store? Can you go to Myers?" I was like, nope, I have no idea where it is. They're like, it's two turns. You turn on Lakeshore and you make one other turn. And I knew how to get to school and I knew how to get to church. That was it. My parents thought this was super funny. So they would just have me drive places and it would be like, um, hey, can you drop Christopher off at soccer practice? It's right off Mercury. And I'm like, the planet? How, am I, how, how do you get to Mercury? Where is this magical place? I was clueless. And I remember being filled with this dread. And it was this dread that was like, I don't know exactly where I'm going, and I'm not quite sure how to get there. Now, it's one thing when you're 16 years old and figuring out directions, but my fear is this is how many Christians live their entire life. I don't know exactly where I'm going, and I don't know how to get there. And it's like I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I think I love him, but I have doubts sometimes, and I think maybe I've missed something, or maybe he doesn't actually love me, and I'm doing the, the church thing, and I'm trying to do community, but my life is very up and down. Am I missing what God would have for me? Well, church, here's the good news. If you've ever wrestled with these questions like I have, the good news is we're not left on our own to figure this out, but there actually is a right answer. We can know what God wants from us. And here's the right answer. It's this. God's desire for our life 
is that it would be filled with freedom and friendship with God. God wants us to live lives that are defined by freedom and friendship with him. Think all the way back to Genesis 1, right? God creates the earth. He creates the Garden of Eden. He puts Adam and Eve in the garden. And guess what he says? He says, all of this is yours. Go enjoy it. Go be fruitful and multiply. Go live in this place that I've given you. And in that moment, they were completely free. There was no anxiety. There was no fear. There was no pain. There was no death. They had perfect relationships with one another. And they also had perfect friendship with God. Right In Genesis 3, think about this. We are told that God at night, he would come down into the garden and he would walk in the garden and they knew his voice and he would talk with them. That's amazing. Right In Exodus 33, God would explain his relationship with Moses and he uses the same language. In Exodus 33, 11, it says this. It says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. They had perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another. They were free. But you know how the story goes, right? Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled against God. Listen, freedom and friendship was not enough for us. We wanted to be God ourselves. And we rejected God's right rule and reign over creation. We rebelled against him and sin did what sin does. It destroys relationship and it enslaves They had to leave the garden. They could no longer be in God's presence. We become enslaved to sin. Cain, you need to hear me. The rest of the Bible, that book in your hands, is a story of the lengths that God was willing to go to to win back our freedom and friendship with him. The entire Bible is a love story saying, here's what you destroyed in your sin, and here's the depth that I would go to because I want this for you so badly. It's freedom and friendship. And what we're going to see in John 15, again, these are the last moments Jesus has with his disciples before he dies. And he goes, I want to tell you about this life that you can have and what it looks like and how to get there. So look at John 15, verse 1. Let's start right there. I'm going to read through verse 5. You can follow along. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." All right, so if the question we've got to deal with this morning is what kind of life does God want me to have, what we're going to see in this chapter is five clarifying questions that we need to have answers to that's going to help us along the way. Here's the first. If I know if I'm living this life or not, I've got to answer this question. Who do I love? Who do you love? Jesus uses an analogy here. He uses a picture where he is the vine and we are the branches that stem off from that vine. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you need to hold on to me. You need to be attached to me. I am your life source. I am your great North Star. If you are connected to me, you're going to live and bear fruit. But if you don't love me and if you don't stay connected to me, you're going to wither away and be cut off. He's ultimately saying, you need to love me. Okay, church, I've said this before, but you need to understand this. Heaven is not a place where good people go. 
Heaven is not a place where people who have right theology end up. Heaven is a place for people who love Jesus. At the end of the day, our relationship with Jesus is actually that. It's a relationship. Can I ask you a question? Do you love Jesus? And I want to get pretty direct right here because I think there's a trap that's easy for us Christians to fall into. And the trap is, is we want Jesus' stuff more than we actually want Jesus. It's very easy for us to love the things that Jesus does for us more than actually loving him. Let me try to explain this. So last weekend, my wife was gone over the long holiday weekend. My girls have turned 13, and for their 13th birthday, um, we got them just a girls' weekend to New York. They'd never been. They got to spend a couple days with Mary, do a bunch of the, the touristy stuff in New York, and I was home alone with the boys. And she was gone Thursday, Friday, Saturday, came back Sunday. All right, so imagine she comes back home Sunday and I greet her at the door and I give her a big hug and I'm like, I'm so glad you're home. I've missed you. Our house gets so dirty when you're gone. <laughs> and Mary, the craziest thing happens when you're gone, the clothes that I leave on the floor, they don't magically reappear clean and folded back in our, our, our room. They're, they stay on the floor and they stay dirty. And, and babe, me and the boys have had 10 straight meals of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I'm so thankful you're home. How do you think that would go for me? Probably not amazing, right? Because here's what I'm communicating. I love you because you do things for me. Right, which is ultimately communicating, I love me, and I love that you make my life better. It's completely backwards. Right? But if I go to Mary and say, man, I just missed you, and you're my best friend, and I love being around you, and I hate it when you're gone. I am just not the same person when you're not here. I'm communicating that I love her. Church, look at me. It is possible to love the idea of grace and the idea of forgiveness, and the idea of salvation, and to love what Jesus does for us more than actually loving Jesus. This is dangerous. The beauty of Christianity is that we get reconciled to God. We get a relationship with God. Do you have that? Like on the most basic question I can ask, do you and Jesus have a relationship? Do you have a thing going? And you have to remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Love is not primarily a feeling, right? It is a choice of the will that leads to action, right? Because I love my wife when she's gone, I go and I get her flowers and I have the boys pick out some chocolates because we know she loves those things and we want to make her happy. It's not to earn love. It's not to prove to her that I love her. I'm not in her debt trying to work my way out, but because I love, I want to please her and make her happy. The same is true in our relationships with God. Because we love God, not to earn, not to prove, we follow him and we hold on to him and we abide in him and we order our lives like he calls us to order our lives. If someone audited your life, if they audited your finances, if they audited your time, if they audited your relationships, if they audited your prayer life, would they find people who are blown away with Jesus and are wild about him and love him? Who are you holding on to? Look at verse one again. He says this, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. All right, so if the first question is, is who do I love? The next question needs to be, why is this happening? 
Why is this happening? And I'm about to say something that's going to be pretty uncomfortable. And if you're new to Harvest or if you're new to kind of how we do ministry here, you might not like this and I'm okay with that because I'm more concerned about being faithful to what God's word says. And here's what Jesus says. He gives us this very uncomfortable reality. He says, there's two types of people. One type of person does not love Jesus. They do not abide. They do not bear fruit and they get cut away. The other type of person, they do love Jesus, they do abide, they do bear fruit, and they get pruned, they get cut back. Either way, you get cut. Are you going to get cut off and gathered together and burned, or are you going to get pruned and cut back? And here's the thing he's saying to you that you need to hear. People who have a genuine relationship with Jesus will bear fruit. All right, so then we need to ask ourselves the question, what kind of fruit is he talking about? Does this going to mean that I'm going to be successful and that I'm going to really just do great in life? What is he talking about? Well, in Galatians 5, God's word tells us what this fruit is. It says this, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. All right, so God's word says that as we follow Jesus, as we abide in him, these things, these fruit of the spirit will grow in us. And a couple things I need you to see about Galatians 5. Notice it's one singular fruit. All of those things is one fruit that's connected together. It's not individual fruits. It's not the fruits, plural of the spirit. It's one fruit, right? This isn't like you're in the grocery store and you're like, man, that love looks amazing. I'm going to take that. I'm going to take some of that joy. But that self-control thing, that's got mold on it. I'm leaving it at the grocery store. Or, or, or man, that kindness, that smells bad. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. No, they're all together. And by the way, if you think about it, they're all interconnected, aren't they? Right? If you're not a loving person, you're probably not going to be overly kind. And if you're not loving and you're not kind, you're probably not going to have a very peaceful life. And if it, your life is full of chaos and not peaceful, there's not going to be a ton of joy. These things are connected together. And it's this idea that, listen, none of us in here right now are batting a thousand percent at these things. Everyone should look at that list and be convicted. That it's like, man, I've got a way to go in some of these areas. And that's why God prunes us back so that we could grow. Right, so the Christian life is living in this place that says, by God's grace, I'm not who I was. God has grown me in these things, but I'm still pretty far away from where I want to be. And do you know how God accelerates our growth? He prunes us. He cuts us back. Listen to me. Because God loves you, he is going to put you in difficult situations so that our dependency on him might grow. He might cut us back that we might bear more fruit. And so I've really been convicted this week that I don't want to be a pastor that just explains this stuff. I want to be transparent with all of you and let you know how this has played out in my life. Um, there have been two major seasons in my life where I have felt cut back by God, pruned in order to bear much fruit. The first was about 14 years ago. Uh, Mary and I, we were newly married. We were a young couple. We were serving the Lord as a youth pastor in Florida. And uh, our dream ever since we started dating and knew we were gonna get married, it was like, we wanna have kids when we were young. We want to be young parents. Like that's just a deep desire of our heart. And about a year, a year and a half into marriage, we got pregnant and we were excited. This was right on plan. This, this was what we wanted for our lives. And about 10 weeks into the pregnancy, Mary lost the baby. And Mary and I were really young. We'd never gone through something like this before as a couple. And I remember it just knocked us flat on our back. 
And we were thinking like, God, why are you doing this? Like we're serving you. We love you. You know that this is the desire of our heart. And we believe that this isn't a selfish desire, but it's a good desire. Why would this happen? We don't understand. Well, now looking back, here's what I will tell you. What God did individually in Mary and I's heart through that process and how we had to pray and cling on to him and trust in him, um, we were different people as a result of going through that. Our marriage and how we had to lean into one another and talk with one another and be patient with one another and care for one another, it flourished our marriage. And by the way, Mary has had the opportunity to walk with dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of women in this church who have gone through difficult pregnancies or miscarriages and been able to minister to them out of a place of having walked through it. God used the season of cutting us back that we might flourish and grow and produce more fruit. I get it now. The other season in my life where I really felt pruned and cut back was leading this church during COVID. And um, here's what I'll say. I know it was not just me and I know it was just not this church, but I would say trying to lead any church within the combination of a worldwide pandemic, an election year, and the George Floyd murder was awful. Being a pastor was terrible. People were isolated, they were frustrated, they were angry, they were anxious, and they were fearful, and you could not win. Any decision you make, you were getting people mad, and people were leaving, and people were writing mean emails, and it was not a winnable game. And there was this suffocating pressure, and we weren't meeting, and there were stay-at-home orders, and it was hard. There was a suffocating pressure, and then pressure did what pressure does. It brought up to the surface other issues. And then all of a sudden we realized that there was disagreement on what we should be as a church amongst our staff, and there was disunity, and there was even distrust that was forming, and sin was being brought to the surface. And and it was like, man, I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know how to make it through. And I tell you what, there were moments where I wanted to tap out. It's too hard. It's too painful. I don't know what I'm doing. I want to quit. And if it weren't for the strength of our elders, if it weren't for my small group and some key friendships and some key relationships with people on staff, I might have tapped out. But here's what I can honestly say to you in 2024, having gone through that, um, our church is more unified, more together, more mature, stronger and healthier than it's ever been. And by the way, our staff is more together, more on task, more on target, doing greater ministry than we've ever done. I love the people that I get to work with. And there is a unity that developed through that that couldn't be replicated another way. And by the way, I'm a different person. I am more dependent on the Lord. I am more confident. I'm more bold. One of the beauties of like, no matter what you do, having everyone hate you is you die to the idol of needing people to like you. And God kind of developed in me, just Cal, do what's right, trust me, honor the Lord and move forward. And God has changed my heart. So here's what I can say in 2024, I would go through it again, knowing the fruit that it has produced. Was it painful? Absolutely. Is God faithful? Yes, he is. I remember about six months ago, uh, some of you know John Guerra. He's a friend of our church. He's a worship leader and he's done concerts here and he's led worship at our church. I've known John for almost 20 years. We went to Moody Bible Institute together and uh, I saw him about six months ago. He was leading a, a men's night or something here and we hadn't seen each other for a couple years. And John's like, hey, Cal, how are you doing? And I gave him a hug and I'm like, you know what? I'm doing well. Uh, the church is in a great place. Family's healthy, family's good. And he's like, man, you know what? Um, you do look way better than you did a couple years ago. You looked awful like two years ago. 
It's like, thanks, John. Nice to see you too, man. Love you, bro. And like, I'm thankful for friendships where they'll just call it out and speak it honestly. Listen to me. Some of you are in here right now. I met a guy after church last night going through an incredibly difficult season in his life and in his marriage. And you're here and life is hard and it's painful and you want to give up and you want to quit and you don't know how you're going to make it through. I need you to hear this. You're going through this, not in spite of God's love for you, but because he loves you. And he is going to be faithful to grow you and to prune you. He is way more concerned with your growth than your comfort. And he is going to allow us to experience hard things that we might bear more fruit. Amen? Why is this happening? We need to know the answer. All right, look at verse three. Look what he says here. He says something really interesting. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. All right, what Jesus says right here is wild. He, he says to his disciples that because of what I have said to you, you are clean. Okay, here's why this is so wild. These men are, are about two hours away from failing Jesus spectacularly. In about two hours from now, they're going to abandon Jesus. They're going to run. They're going to deny him. They're going to say, I want nothing to do with him. They're going to curse his name in earshot of Jesus as he's being falsely accused and arrested. You can't imagine a group of friends turning on someone in a greater way than these men are about to turn on Jesus. And Jesus says, you guys are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And it leads to the next question. Where is your hope, church? Where is your hope? How could these men be clean? They're just about to fail Jesus. Well, you know why they're clean? Because they believed that he was the Messiah. They believed the gospel. They had faith in Jesus. Look at me. It wasn't based on their performance. It wasn't because they were the finished product or had everything figured out. Listen, I'm speaking to some specifically in this room when I say this. Some of you need to hear this. You need to break free from the false construct that believes that God is only happy with you when you're doing well, but when you fail or have a bad day, he's disappointed in you or angry with you. It's a lie. It's not true. And it's really harmful when we believe this. James 5, 16 says this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. What God's word says is, listen, if you sin, confess your sins and pray so that you can be healed. And there are so many of us who will never experience this healing. We will stay in this crippled state because we can't admit that we're wrong. And when we fail, we can't tell anyone and we can't go to God with it and we can't pray because we feel like a failure and we think God's gonna be angry with us and he's gonna reject us and he's going to push us away. Could not be farther from the truth. These disciples were about to fail massively and Jesus says, I love you and you are clean. The beauty of the gospel is we don't have to clean ourselves up before we come to Jesus that we abide in Jesus, we hold on to him, and he makes us clean. Jay, you wanna know what our problem is? If we really wanna be honest with ourselves, most of us would prefer if Christianity was all about us. Right, think about it. If God is happy with me when I'm successful in doing well and having victory, then who's the star? It's not God, it's me, right? 
I'm doing well, I'm doing enough, so I should get the gold star, I should be loved. And then when we live in this place where we shrink back from God and we don't go to church and we bail on small group because we're losing in our battle to temptation and our relationships aren't great and we feel bad for how we're living, here's what we're saying. We're saying, I'm not worthy of God's love. It's still all about us. Here's what's amazing is even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, even when we were unworthy, God was still faithful and great to love us just because he loved us. There's a young family in our church who I love so much, and they just had a new baby girl. And it's their first kid, and I was um, talking with him this week, and I was like, man, it's, isn't it amazing how when you first see your child, it's like you have done nothing to earn my love, and there isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. I love you because you exist. That's how God views us. He loves us because he's great, and he's chosen to love us. Again, Jesus does not say, come to me when you're clean. He says, abide in me, hold on to me. I will make you clean. He's got to get the credit, not us. Where's your hope? Is it in your performance or is it in God's love for you? Okay, here's the fourth question we need to ask. It's this. We need to ask, what do I want? What do I want? Look at verse 7. It says this. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. All right, so Jesus says something kind of interesting here. He goes, listen, if you abide in me and if you love me, whatever you ask me, I will give to you. Okay, this is probably one of the most misused and twisted passages or phrases in the entire Bible. Like, so what, what is he saying? What does this mean? Does this mean that if I just do the Jesus program, and if I love Jesus, and if I go to church, and if I do the right things, that all of a sudden I'm going to be six foot two and have an eight pack, be a scratch golfer, and y'all are going to love me? Is that what it means? Like, I'd want that. That sounds amazing. Do I get to just use this, you know, genie lamp and rub it and, and I get whatever I want? Absolutely not. But you have to understand, there have been entire ministries and churches that have been built on the lie that if you just give enough to Jesus, your life is going to be amazing and all of your dreams are going to come true. And actually, Jesus is about serving your selfish interests. Okay, so what is he saying then? Because he says, whatever you ask, I'll give you. And he's not lying. Well, I think the key is in verse 11. Look what he says. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. He's talking about joy. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And right after he says that, that whatever you ask for, whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Look at verse 8. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. Okay, this entire conversation is in the context of the fruit that we bear when we abide in Christ. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, when you love me and when you abide in me, listen to me, the desires of your heart begin to change. And when you love Jesus and when you follow him, you find that you are not as consumed with yourself anymore. And your prayers get less selfish. It's less about, God, what can you do for me? How can you make my life better? How can you make my life easier? Our prayers become, God, how can I be faithful? How can I glorify you? How can I have more strength and more boldness and more peace and more joy? Hey, will you help these people I love? Will you give them these things? It becomes, God, will you transform me to be more like you? Because we understand that joy is found when we become like 
Christ. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Right? There's a um, beautiful old hymn that I want you to look at. I would, I would argue it's a very boring song with beautiful lyrics. It says this. It says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's this idea that when our eyes are on Jesus, when we are abiding, our hopes and desires and dreams for our life become less about material things or about how people view us. It becomes more about holding on to Jesus, growing closer to him, being faithful. Right, James 4 says this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God is not in the business of catering to your selfishness. All right, so can I ask you a question? What do you want? Like when you pray, is all of your prayer focused on you and your selfish desires? Hey, God, help me to get this job. Hey, God, help this meeting to go well for me. Hey, hey, God, help my kids not to be so insane so I can have some peace. Or is it, hey, God, whether or not I get this job, help me to trust you and find my identity within you. Hey, God, in this meeting, would you help me guard my tongue? Would you help me honor you with my words? And God, would you give me patience so that I can love and father my kids in a way that represents you well? The desires of your heart change. What do you want? What are the things that you're seeking? All right, now as we wrap up, look at verse 12. Here's what he says. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Here's the last question we need to ask ourselves. Who will I trust? Who will I trust? Jesus does something amazing here in verse 15. Look at it again. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all I have heard from my father, I have made known for you. Could you remember at the beginning of this sermon, I said what God desires for us is freedom and friendship. You see it right here as Jesus is instructing his disciples. He's saying, here's what I want. I want you to be free. And by the way, I'm purchasing your freedom. You are free because you believed in me. And because of the words I've spoken over you, you are clean. And now I call you friends. And he goes, here's why we're friends. Because I've explained to you God's entire plan of salvation. He says, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but friends share what the plan is and what's going on. I've given you everything that there is to know. You know that I love you. You know that I'm the Lord. You know that I'm going to die on a cross so that you might be saved. You have all of it. So we are friends. Jesus wants this close friendship. But look at me. Friends trust each other, don't they? Right? If I was like, man, you know, me and Pastor Brad... We're great friends, but I would never take that dude's advice because I don't trust a word he says. We wouldn't actually be great friends, would we? We might be friendly acquaintances, but friends trust each other. Do you trust the Word of God? It's interesting. Paul Tripp, he said this this week. He posted this on Twitter. He said, Christian maturity is about learning to trust Scripture rather than trusting your heart. At the end of the day, 
We've got to make a decision whose voice gets to be loudest in our life. And, and listen, hang with me here. We live in a culture that will scream at us every day. The voice that you should trust greater than any other is yourself. Whatever you feel, whatever you think, whatever you believe is right, live by that. That is the, the pathway to happiness and hope and joy, even though every metric and every statistic says we're more miserable than we've ever been. Just keep doing the same thing. You'll get there. You won't. Okay, look at me, especially if you're here and you're younger. It is so easy to find friends that will just affirm exactly what you already want. Do what makes you feel good, follow your heart, and I don't want there to be any uncomfort in between us, so I'll just let you do whatever you wanna do, whether or not that's good for you. Listen, do you not know it's worth its weight in gold? Friends that will point you to scripture. Friends that will point you to God's word, the thing that has stood the test of time and said his way is straight and it's narrow, but it's good and it's gonna lead you to green pastures and still waters. Um, I think I've told this story before, but man, when I was in the middle of it during COVID, I remember I went out to dinner with a friend and I was like, man, this is so hard and I don't know how I'm gonna get through it and it's difficult and I feel like I'm drowning. And my friend looked at me and he goes, hey, Cal, I love you and you need to stop feeling bad for yourself. God is good and he's faithful and he's pruning you and you're gonna grow through this and you need to stop complaining and feeling bad for yourself or you're gonna miss what God wants for you. And I'm like, wow, that was really mean, but exactly what I needed to hear. Those conversations, those people are worth their weight in gold. Whose voice do you trust? Who gets to have final say over your life and your heart and your thoughts? Freedom and friendship. Can I ask you a question? Do you honestly feel that with the Lord right now? And if you don't, one of two things might be going on. One is, is you might have never made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. And I think that there's some in here who this has always felt unattainable and it's always felt far off and you've always tried to do things out of your own strength and own power. And this can be a moment right now where for the first time you genuinely trust in the Lord and say, I believe that I am clean because of what you did and because of your love for me, not because of my performance. Some of you can pray that prayer right now. You can meet with a pastor after the service. I'm praying that people give their life to Christ this weekend. Okay, there's others in you who you do believe in Jesus and you do follow him, but it feels like something's off. I felt that a lot in my life before. And here's what I found. When I feel like something's off or I'm not living this life of freedom and friendship that God desires for me, one of these questions that we just went through, I'm answering wrongly. My hope's in something else. I'm not trusting God's word more than my heart. My love is growing cold. I'm getting distracted. So what I want to encourage you with is really wrestle with these things. And maybe even as we close in worship, there can be a time where we say, hey, Lord, I love you and I trust you. Help me abide in you and produce more fruit. Amen? Let's pray. Dearly Father, God, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for um, just what you're doing in the lives of people in our church. And even as I met with people last night and hear about how they are going through seasons of pruning, but they trust you and they love you and they know you're working, God, it was such an encouragement to my heart. And God, I know that there are people in this room who are fighting what seem to be insurmountable battles. But God, your plans are good for us. Your word is true and you are faithful. You promise to be there with us. You promise to be faithful, to cause us to bear more fruit. God, we wanna be people who are filled with love, joy, peace, 
all of those things in you, not in ourselves. We love you and we need you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.